time for another Basketball Insiders Podcast with your host, Steve Kyler. Welcome to another installment of Basketball Insiders, the podcast. I am Steve Kyler, editor and publisher of Basketball Insiders. Joining me as special guest on this podcast, he's Daniel Poneman. He is a partner with Beyond Athlete Management. He's an agent and actually the first agent I think we've ever had on the podcast. Daniel, how are you, man? I'm great. I'm happy to make history as your first agent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm so honored. Um, well, you know, like I was just telling you, you know, one of the things I wanted to do, especially with so many people kind of locked down, trying to fill time was I went through my phone and I'm like, who are the people I know who have like amazing stories and your story I think is really cool. You know, and I know a lot of agents in the business and a lot of agents went to law school, wanted to be an agent, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, great. And you've had some success with it. You kind of came into this business a little bit more like I came into this business. You came into this as kind of a media guy. Yeah, it's funny. Now that I'm an agent, I, I think people who I've known for years still have a hard time like seeing me as an agent because I was in the basketball business for so long as a non-agent. But you're right. It, it was a lot of agents take that traditional route where it's, it's uh, you know, college, law school, dream of being an agent. I resisted being an agent for most of my life and then reluctantly uh, accepted my destiny. <laughs> so JucoAdvocate.com was more of like a scouting service, if I remember that right. Yeah. So Juco Advocate was my last project that I helped launch before becoming an agent, but I had a whole life before that, um, basketball life before that. So, you know, I started when I was actually in high school. Um, I started my first high school basketball website when I was 14 years old. I started a site called IllinoisHSBasketball.com where I used to go after school and on the weekends and scout high school basketball games and uh, do player rankings and interviews. And I used to use AOL Instant Messenger to interview guys right before, you know, before social media was around. I, I used AIM. And I, I, so my first basketball website was IllinoisHSBasketball.com when I was in high school. Built that into my college scouting service. Started a YouTube channel when I was like 17 called Swag Air where we did uh, highlight videos. I was like the first YouTube channel where we had like Kyrie Irving and Jared Sullinger, Harrison Barnes, uh, Perry Jones, Anthony Davis, that, that kind of that era of guys. And then over the years, you know, I kind of evolved in my role and, and Juco Advocate was like the last venture I started with my friend Brandon Goble um, before I took the leap to be an agent. I had been scouting for a long time, helping colleges with recruiting players and identifying players. And then I met this guy, Brandon Goble, who had this idea to turn it into a like, technology platform, like a database of every junior college player in the country for colleges to be able to go in and recruit. And I saw Brandon was like almost like a savant at it. He was this like, incredible recruiting connector. And I was like, you know what? The, the game is in good hands. Let's let Brandon take this and, and ride it off into the sunset. And, and I you know, made that transition to becoming an agent. So along the way there, you got involved in the music business too, right? Yeah. So I gave you that. That was the two minute version because I didn't want to bore people. But that, <laughs> I've lived for a 28 year old. I've lived uh, many lives and worn many hats. Yeah. So you were Juco advocate. You were scouting. You were doing stuff on YouTube. Swag Air Showcase. I remember that. Is that still a thing? Swag Air Showcase? Yeah. So I'll take you back in, in the, the linear, you know, the, the timeline of the story. So. I finished high school when I was um, 17 years old and was doing my, my scouting service. 
And at the time, I, I was going to go to school at Northwestern. I was actually going to be like a team manager there. I, I was close with the coaching staff. I've been helping them recruit. I was going to be a team manager. Convinced my parents to let me take a year off of, of school to pursue being a full-time scout. So up until that point, you know, I had helped a lot of kids get recruited. I had a few hundred uh, schools from D1s, D2s, D3s, NAIs that were subscribing to my scouting service. So I was like, let me see if I can make it as a full-time scout. Um, started that year my very first um, uh, basketball showcase. It was an unsigned senior showcase. So actually, my first ever event was when I was a sophomore in high school. I ran a eighth-grade all-star game, which I had invited <laughs> Anthony Davis to. So actually, in that game, I had Anthony Davis, Ryan Boatwright, who was, had just committed to USC as an eighth grader, ended up playing at UConn. So that was a star study game. But yeah, my first unsigned Anthony game Davis in eighth grade. Was he like six nine? No, Anthony was actually five eleven, 135 pounds. Um I had him ranked like so I had a ranking of the top eighth graders in the state. And it was the top 35 eighth graders and then the best of the rest. Anthony was on the best of the rest. He wasn't in the top 35 um when he was in eighth grade. Actually, I actually sent him a, a, a screenshot of those rankings recently just to remind him you know, how far he'd uh, come since then um either that or you were way wrong in your rankings <laughs> so he, was, he wasn't even starting for his eighth grade team at the time he was like a, a, a he was like a wing forward he was like a 511 shooter kind of like a skinny wing shooter he was like a wesley johnson at the time i guess a, a eighth grade version of that he wasn't the player the, the type of player he is now but Anyway, so then I, when I was a senior, I started running uh, unsigned senior showcases. So it started out as, as this thing where, like, I'd help guys like, you know, Evan Turner or Anthony Davis, who were, like, top D1 level guys and, you know, seeing them go pro, and that was great. But I also kind of knew that um, I had this platform and this network of college coaches, and there were kids in Chicago who needed junior colleges, Division twos, Division threes, um, needed schools to go to, uh, and... I had the platform to help them get recruited and maybe those guys would never be pros and, you know, never you know earn money playing basketball, but they could create a better life for themselves through basketball. So I started running unsigned senior showcases when I was uh, in eighth grade. I mean, when I went, sorry, when I was uh, a senior in high school in that first showcase, I had probably like 50 players in like 20 colleges showed up, helped a few kids get to college. Um, but kind of realized if I turned it into a nonprofit, that I could help a lot more kids. So it was something that has always been a passion project of mine, just helping, you know, non D one kids from Chicago, um, get to college through basketball. A few years back, Evan Turner, um, uh, took the reins and, uh, started donating money and, and funding the whole project. So players never have to pay to play in the, in the event. Um, and over the years we've helped over 600 kids get to college on scholarship. I'm less hands-on these days with it because I'm, you know, helping run an agency, but the, the, you know, the nonprofit still exists in Chicago and is still helping kids to this day. So can I get some swag air swag? Can, can we make that happen? Uh, you know, I have like a, a, a box of old swag air shirts in my closet, but oh, um, send me one. I, my, I, I, my I, AAU team will flip out. Like I do that with like all the people in my world. Like if you've got a logoed t-shirt, like the, the BAM athletic guys, elite skills, training, impact basketball. If you got a logo, let me rock it. I will wear it to practice. It makes me look cool to those kids. All right. But then they're going to start calling you swag air, Steve. Are you okay with that? 
Oh, come on, man. That's better than what everybody else calls me. What do they call you? <laughs> no, yeah, we're not doing that on the podcast. That'll find me on Twitter. I, I'm, I'm going to start calling you Swagger Steve. How about that? Okay. I'm totally with it. Totally. Hey, man, you've seen me in tights. I cannot get any worse than that. Yeah, we did. We, we played uh, some pickup ball at the PBC a few years ago, and uh, I, I, I'm happy no footage exists of that for both of us. <laughs> yes, you and me both, because Big Baller was there and they were filming stuff. I'm yeah. so glad that did not make it in there. Um, yeah, that, was, that was peak Big Baller era before it all came crashing down. Yeah, but you could see it was all going to come crashing down. Those of us who know how the world works saw what that was before it it imploded. Uh, we'll see what they do. You know, version two. Remember Starbury, Stefan Marbury's brand had two or three iterations and one's gone through five or six cycles of being and one. We'll see what big baller brand two is probably be like Sharknado or something. Yeah. But Daniel, so you kind of turn being kind of this guy in the center of Chicago and you mentioned this, you know, it, that it seemed inevitable that you'd be an agent. So what ultimately kind of pushed you into saying, okay, I'm going to give this agent thing a try. Was it a particular player or was it just kind of like, there's an inevitability to that? Yeah. So I was always around players growing up again. You mentioned I was kind of in media, right? I ran a website and helped players with their recruiting. And I, you know, I was kind of, people saw me as like a scout, a media guy, but I was more so just a connector. I never like was like a journalist. I didn't like writing, you know, it was like, I kind of just did it to um, get information out there. For me, it was always about the exchange of information and connecting dots. I was a connector and people always told me growing up, oh, you'd be such a good agent. You'd be such a good agent. I knew all these guys. I never wanted to be an agent because I didn't like the industry. I, I knew some agents and I saw them as kind of like that archetype, that, that kind of like cliche like sleazy manipulative you know all about the money and i was like no i'm mr chicago basketball i'm never going to be that i'm here to help people i'm here to help kids get recruited i'm here to like use basketball for good i'm not going to be mr all about the money and i resisted it for a long time even though i kind of knew in the back of my head that i had this skill set that i'd be good at it i didn't go to college i was a full-time scout dot connector that whole time i was almost like doing a master's in becoming an agent right but I just, I, I like denied my destiny. But at a certain point, um, I started to realize that so many players I was seeing come out of Chicago um, who would come ask me for help picking an agent were getting poor representation. Guys would come say they need help going overseas. They need help getting in the D League. Or, you know, I would see their agents take advantage of them and, and they were, you know, not getting good guidance, not getting good life advice, not having the right people in their circle. And I saw a lot of our stars come out of our city and kind of, make the wrong life decisions. So I realized it was kind of a calling for me and a responsibility. Hey, if I'm really going to be Mr. Chicago basketball, I can't sit here and just ask for donations and run my little nonprofit. I have to take a step up and say, Hey, I'm going to work with the top players who come out of the city and we're going to work together to um, not only make a lot of money and have success on the court, but to use that platform to reinvest in our city, make it a better place, help young people and use our platform for good. So for me, it was kind of like a calling, like, you know what, these guys need good representation and they need good guidance. And our city needs our stars to have the right people around them. And, and I can't complain about it if I'm not willing to step up and do it myself. You know, it's interesting that you brought up kind of the the shady underbelly of the agent business. Um, 
And I'm always surprised at that. Like, you know, you, you do this now. And I think you were doing this earlier today where you've got to go in and kind of pitch a family and you've got to kind of pitch a kid on why they should trust you and be, allow you to be the one that's helping them steer their career and, and ultimately their livelihood and how quickly some of those relationships, one sour, um, sometimes it's on the player side. Certainly sometimes it's on stuff outside of the player's immediate control, family members, things like that. But to kind of watch how some agents, when you're not going to be maybe that lottery pick or you're not going to be that guy that that gets you what you're looking for, how quickly those guys don't get phone calls returned and mm-hmm. don't get good information or can't seem to get opportunities. Um, and it just seems like there's a lot of agent stories that way. Are you surprised at how this business has been and there hasn't been like a lot of these guys don't seem to get outed for it? Well, you know, I always say like, it's weird when you pick it, when a a high school kid picks a college, they can like Google it, right? There's like tons of information about um, who's ranked high, you know, what coaches have good reputations. There's articles about them, you know, what players have worked out, what, what recruits worked out where, and when you go to an NBA team or a pro team, there's similar information with agents. There's no Yelp for agents. You don't know um, the character of the person you're picking. You don't know if they're lying to you. You don't know, you know, there's no, they're not giving you directory of clients that have fired them and, and telling you all the things they did wrong. A lot of times these families are picking an agent for, you know, they, they don't, there's no class in college called how to pick an agent. They're thrust, these kids are thrust into this position where they're um, having to make a major life decision with really no tools to, to sift through the information and they could quite easily get deceived. And, you know, I think there have been times where people have gotten outed and, and people have gotten, you know blackballed from the industry, but a lot of them come back in different forms. And it, this industry is in, in many ways, it's un, it's it's regulated by the NBPA, but there's a, you know, if you're a certified agent, but there's a lot that's unregulated and the NCAA is trying their best with their NCAA agent uh, test that they're, you know, that they're trying to do that a lot of people boycotted. Um, but yeah, unfortunately it's, there's a CD underbelly to this all. And it's something that we all deal with. And it's something that um, is not fun to deal with. I would say it's the worst part of this job. Like I love the part of helping people build careers, helping people build generational wealth, seeing guys come out of college and become men and provide for their families and, and use basketball to travel the world. But the, the part that I really don't like dealing with is all the, 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 the shape-shifting characters that try and, you know, uh, leech off of these kids and, and, you know, find their angles in this business. It's it's not a fun thing to combat. So you represent Glenn Robinson, who's with the Sixers. You've got Ben Moore, who was recently with the Fort Wayne Mad, Mad Ants. You've got Taryn Sullivan, who was with our guy Ryan uh, Pannone up in Erie. And then your agency also has Josh Gray. So you've got guys in the NBA. What's the day-to-day of being an N- uh, NBA agent? Like, what's that day like? What's a typical day? Well, because when we you're also, not locked down and can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because we also have a lot of good players internationally. It's not only a typical day, it's a typical night because it's a 24 hour job when you have guys like I was just talking to um, before we got on this call, I was talking to my guy, Jay Sean Tate, who played in Australia this year and his games would come on routinely at like 2 a.m. our time or 3 a.m. Central time. So it was literally 24 hour uh, cycle on that. But yeah, you know, it, the agent wears a lot of different hats. You know, I think um, like in music, in the music business, which we mentioned, I was, you know, I worked in music for some time. I was a, a rap manager, you know, and the manager is one job in music. And then the agent is like a booking agent. Their job is to book the the uh, 
shows and that's their job. But in this business, the agent is the agent and the manager and the friend and all things kind of wrapped into one. Um, it's not just negotiating the contracts. It's, you know, if that was the job, we would just be working, you know, one week a year. But it's, you know, we have to watch all of our clients' games, communicate with their team and make sure that they're getting, you know, everything that, that you know, treated fairly by the team and um, making the most out of their experience there. We're communicating with their families, making sure that they're taken care of with tickets and flights and all those types of things. Communicating with partners and sponsors, shoe companies and and different, uh, you know, partners and sponsors off the court and just making sure that they're generally okay. You know, I think the biggest responsibility as an agent is to just be a, uh, I think like a conduit to all the other uh, partners in their in their life and career, just to, to make sure that the player can focus on playing the game the best and have be in the best mindset and uh, be there for them to handle everything else that they need in life. You know, we don't want, um, you know, our, our athletes being overwhelmed with, with everything that's going on in their life and off the court. It's our job to just make sure they're good so they can perform at a high level and then also to get them paid. That That's also the, uh, I think, the primary responsibility. How many phone calls do you take and make in a given day? 40, 50, probably. Um, I mean, especially like right now, because we're on this quarantine period, there's no flights, there's no travel. It's just phone calls all day, all day. Um, between my current athletes that I represent, their families, um, my partners at the agency and our employees at the agency, um, NBA teams, overseas teams, overseas partners, uh, companies that we work with, you know, that, that endorse our players, um, and then college coaches and, 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 you know, potential recruits. Yeah. Probably 40, 50 a day. I, I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's nonstop. And then idiot media guys who say, Hey, can you come on the podcast? Yeah, this is the fun, this is the fun part. It's funny. I'm, I'm sitting here in my you know home office because I'm on quarantine and my girlfriend who I live with is over here. And I was joking with her. I was like, great. You get to hear me talk on a podcast and tell my life story. Cause you've never heard me hear, heard me say that before because in reality, she just has to sit here while I talk on the phone and tell the same stories over and over to <laughs> 40 people a day you know, repeat the same talking points, you know, so she gets sick of it. But uh, yeah, but it, this is, this is fun though. This is the fun part. So we talked a little bit about there's a shady underbelly to it, but is, is the agent business in your mind as a participant in the process as bad as it's made out to be, or do you guys get a bad rap sometimes? I think we do get a bad rap sometimes. I mean, look, it's super competitive. Everyone's trying to steal clients from other people. Everyone's recruiting against each other. A lot of us don't like each other. Like that's true. But I think generally, honestly, a lot of the agents that we compete against are quality agents. Like if you're talking about the function of agent, getting guys paid, making sure they're in good situations, knowing how to guide careers, I would say the majority of the ones at the NBA level are good at that. I think it's very difficult to be incompetent and uh, maintain NBA players. Like it's such a competitive industry. There's a thousand plus probably NBA certified agents and less than a hundred who represent NBA players. So if you're not good at that and, and you're, you're just flat out bad, like you're going to end up losing your clients and you're not going to stick for long. So I will say like, I do admire the work of some of my, you know, contemporaries, agents I compete against, people who've been doing it longer than me um, that I've seen, you know, that I work with three other agents in my company who I, I think are fantastic. But um, I think the agents themselves generally aren't the worst uh, people, um, but there are a lot of ancillary characters that try that aren't agents that try and 
find an angle in this business. And I think that's a lot of times where the problem lies. And then the crazy parents. I mean, you're in a world where you're trying to maybe help a kid get to that next level, fulfill his dream. And then you got a cousin or a nephew or a uncle who's like, what's in it for me? How do you kind of deal with those people who feel like they're entitled to something? I mean, that can't be an easy part to this. Um, you know, every agent has a different strategy to deal with that. Um, for us, we kind of just say like, look, they'll, they'll come back around. If, if people want to be on the take all the time and you start giving in to unreasonable requests, um, it's a slippery slope and it, it, there's no end to it. So the safest way is in, in the most effective way is to just not engage with that and deal. You know, I speak the truth. I tell potential clients my story and what I can do for them. And if they connect with that, great. And if that's not enough for them, then it's probably not a good fit. You know, for this, it's it's not all agents are the same. Not all players are the same. Everyone has different personalities. It's like it's like a relationship. You you, you got to find a fit on both sides. And you know, if there's too much of that going on, then it's probably not a fit. You know, but for other people, they might want to deal with that. You know, for you, what's the best part of being an agent? Is it when a Glenn Robinson the third kind of arrives and gets to be? involved in all-star and and all the things that have come his way? Or is it when a Ben Moore signs a two-way contract or is it both? It's both. Um, I do, I would say for me, the most gratifying part of it sometimes is when a, a player who gets their first NBA deal, or even if it's not NBA, even if it's overseas, gets their first big contract or they play so well that they parlay that into like, you know, something that they were striving for and they achieved that. And you know, that you helped them get there. It, it's awesome. Like whether that's NBA or, you know, or overseas or something off the court, you know, sometimes the best part is helping these guys throw their camps in the summer and seeing the way that their communities, you know, with Ben more. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, helping him get his first two way contract. That was great. But this summer he threw an event in his hometown, Bolingbrook, Illinois called Brook made where he used some of that money he made in the NBA through a free basketball camp for the kids, uh, alumni all-star game, a free barbecue uh, cookout for anyone in the community who wanted to come. And it was like an amazing community event that he put on with his own money um, for, for his, his community. And like seeing him arrive as a pillar of his community and say, hey, I've made it to the NBA and now I'm using this platform to reach out to young people that look up to me. Like that's super cool, seeing him in that light. And I think that's cool. And yeah, like when you get that call that someone's getting a call up, it's it's amazing. Like calling someone and letting them know like, hey, you've been working so long for this and you're getting called up to the league. There's, it, it's, it's a really cool feeling. And that makes it all the, the stress and, and hard work worth it. Okay. So in addition to being a partner in the agency beyond athlete management, you're also now, you've got a documentary and a documentary where you partnered with Dwayne Wade and Chance the Rapper. It's called Shot in the Dark. And I know you guys were going to, this was going to debut at South by Southwest, right? Well, so I'll, I'll correct you. It was supposed to play at South by Southwest, but it already got debuted it. in the past. It already made a, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you the whole story on that. I started filming Shot in the Dark long before I was an agent. So this was like 2012. Um, me and two buddies, you know, pre-agent when I was just a scout in Chicago, we started filming a documentary about uh, a high school basketball team in Chicago, the Orr Academy Spartans on the West side. 
we followed, it was supposed to be a 10 minute mini doc. We were supposed to film with them for a week, ended up filming for over three years, four years. And it ended up being a 90 minute feature film. Um, yeah, Chance the Rapper and Dwayne Wade became executive producers. We ended up, uh, it premiered at the Camden Film Festival in Maine uh, two years ago, and then uh, premiered on Fox uh, two years ago as well, uh, February of 18. And then, yeah, just recently, South by Southwest was going to screen it at their festival that got canceled, which was a bummer because when we first made the film, we applied for the South by Southwest festival and they rejected us. We didn't get accepted. So now two years later, they reached back out as like, you know, screening it as like a, you know, not a, a, a you know, entrant to the festival, but as like a legitimate film that they were screening for, you know, for everyone there. And, and it was kind of a cool feeling. You know, we ended up getting nominated for an Emmy last year uh, and just seeing this passion project that three kids from Chicago, I was 19 years old when we started filming or 20 years old. So, um, you know, seeing that get to that stage was really cool. And then it was definitely a bummer that South by got canceled along with everything else in, in our society. So we're going through a, a tough time in the world. I mean, I, I don't want to diminish what's going on in the world, but in the NBA, we don't know what tomorrow is going to be. Adam Silver just did uh, a thing on the NBA's Twitter account where he basically was very honest. We just don't have enough information to know what's coming next. You're representing players. They're talking about maybe they're going to withhold money. Maybe the season will start. Maybe it'll be this. Maybe it'll be that. How do you process all of this as an agent? And then how do you keep your guys from getting lost in what is – clearly an un unbelievable shuffle in terms guys don't have gyms guys can't travel guys can't work with trainers how do you keep your guys focused because when this is over they still have to play for a roster spot yeah well we're lucky that our guys are generally really focused like we have a really good roster of players that um we don't have to worry about keeping them on task like our guys are, are good and even if they don't have a gym to play and they're going to go run around the block and stay in shape and, you know, look, this is, it's not just our industry. Every industry is being flipped upside down right now. You know, it's changing by the day. Even Adam Silver admitted today, it's just like, we don't know anything. We can predict, we can project, we can guess, we can prepare. But no one thought we were going to be here at this point globally, not just in our industry. And we have no idea where we're going to be in a month or two months, or six months or a year. So all we can do is prepare for every scenario that we can predict. And have a plan for everyone. So we've got a plan if there are pre-draft workouts. We've got a plan if there aren't. We've got a plan if the season resumes this summer. We've got a plan if it doesn't. We've got a plan if the season doesn't resume in the fall. And it's just about you know being prepared for every scenario and not sitting back and like you know waiting to see what happens, but actively and proactively preparing for any scenario and knowing that you know we're doing everything we can to be prepared for the best and the worst. And it's a difficult time for a lot of players. There's a lot of uncertainty. You know, we don't know when the NBA is coming back. We don't know, you know, the, the overseas league, you know, Italy still hasn't thrown in the towel. They're still trying to resume their season. China's still trying to resume their season. You know, there's so much uncertainty. So all we can do is gather information and, and make the best decisions we can. For you, when you're kind of in this lockdown mode, how much of this is client maintenance? How much of this is forward planning? How much of it is you're getting caught up on Ozark on Netflix? Hmm. Um, honestly, I wish I could be getting caught up on Netflix. Like, you know, I, I talk to a lot of friends who, you know, their jobs are, you know, they're working from home and they're like, 
you know, chilling and watching Netflix. And, you know, there's a lot that on my to do, a lot of books I want to read that I haven't, you know, gotten a chance to, to, uh, that I would love to, but yeah, this is, um, not a time to relax for us. You know, the first step in this was making sure all of our clients were good and got home safely. We have clients all over the world and some countries, you know, got hit worse than others and making sure that they got home safely, um, making sure that they didn't, you know, that everyone's healthy. And then, um, a lot of it is checking in on our clients and just making sure they're good and seeing what they need because this is an uncertain time. Um, and a lot of it is, um, you know, I think every company, there's those things on the to-do list that it's like, oh, let's start this project, let's start that project, and you never get to it. And now there's a time where everyone's home and everyone's focused. It's like, all right, let's refresh our company manual. Let's, uh, you know, go through those old emails and get back to some of those people who try to reach out on LinkedIn, you know, eight months ago. So there's always more work to be done. Um, so we're not just sitting on our hands till till the games get started um, and also trying to be creative of how to keep our athletes relevant um, when there's no games being played. You know, I think like you see musicians are doing Instagram live sets and YouTube sets, right? They're using their craft to perform digitally into people's homes. Well, we can't, um, you know, basketball players need the court and the venue to perform their performance is not possible right now. And you see some NBA players like doing the 2K live tournaments. That's pretty cool. But like just kind of getting creative of like, all right, well, what are our athletes good at outside of basketball? And how do we showcase that to their fan base to keep people engaged while they're they're at home? For you kind of starting as a guy that was on the outside, does it get a little surreal that you're now on the inside of all of this and that general managers take your phone call and that, for the most part, you can pretty much walk into any NBA arena and and be anywhere you need to be, especially if one of your guys is there. Is it surreal that you're at this point? Um, yes and no. On one hand, it's not surreal because this has been my reality for so long. Like I was 15 years old and I had Division One head coaches calling me while I was in geometry class. So like now it's just been my reality for so long. I, I, it just, it's just normal to me, but at the same time, I do sometimes take a step back and recognize how lucky I am. Um, again, like I have a pass that, you know, any bulls game I go to, I can get you know access to anywhere in the United center and telling any kid in Chicago or, you know, when I was 12 years old that one day I'd be living five minutes from the United center and I could go to any bulls game and just walk around and have free reign and go in the tunnel and hang out and sit, stand on the court. Like it's pretty wild. And, yeah, I mean, the general manager's calling is one thing. Those are just, you know, contemporaries and people that we work with. But sometimes it's cool when people I grew up watching play call me. Like, I grew up in the north suburbs of Chicago watching John Shire. He was like my hero. And when every time, John, you know, John's a friend now, anytime he calls me, it's still like, I got to pinch myself. Like John Shire is calling me. This is crazy. He's like my hero. You know? I, I have a few of those. Yeah. Like I'm a huge Dominique Wilkins fan. And the fact that Neek and I know each other is crazy. You know, I've met Dr. J and talked with Dr. J a hundred times. You know, when you get to that point where those guys are calling you or recognize you, then you get a little, that, that's when I get it. Like, like you said, you know, the GM kind of stuff, that's kind of the next day in the day. Um, but yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. And yeah. And, uh, the other day I talked to Juwan Howard and, and then and I talked to Howard Isley and I, and like, you know, telling them stories of being a kid, watching them play. It's like, yeah, it's cool. Um, 
But I think, honestly, I feel super lucky to be a part of this league. Like, I don't take it for granted that I'm one of 100 agents that represents NBA players, you know. And granted, I'm maybe not at the top. I'm not the, the, the number three agent on the ranking, right? I'm, I'm only four years into this journey. Um, but I don't take that for granted. And to be a part of such an amazing league that is su- at such a center of, of culture in America and the world. If you just look at the way that Adam Silver set the tone for the way the rest of the, the country uh, reacted to the coronavirus. The NBA canceled and then everything canceled. We, we're leaders. Our league is a leader of, of, of culture in this country. And Adam is an incredible uh, leader for all of us. And I feel really lucky to be a part of this league. It's, it's a community. And um, I love so many people that we work with, like you and I, you know, I bump into you four, five, six times a year and we hang out and, you know, other I give you shoes. It's all good. Yeah. I still have that pair of shoes. Uh, and uh, yeah. And just yeah, d- different scouts that, you know, I came into the league with at the same time and seeing them grow into assistant general manager and general general manager roles. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, like someone like Matt Lloyd with the magic who I talked to yesterday, he took me out to lunch when I was 15 years old at PF Chang's and he was a scout for the bulls. And now seeing him, you know, be an assistant general manager and soon to be a general manager. And just like, I feel really lucky to be a part of this community and I don't take it for granted. It's, it's uh, a privilege and um, I, I respect that privilege. You mentioned Matt. I can, I can trump your Matt Lloyd story. Matt Lloyd used to be the guy you got credentials from, from the Chicago Bulls. And that was right around the Elton brand year. And I used to come up to Chicago a lot. So I was at a lot of Chicago Bulls games. So he wasn't even a full-time staffer at that point. He was just kind of a game day staff guy. Um, so he's come a long way. And the fact that he's linked to maybe being the new head of operations for the Bulls, I think that'd be pretty, pretty amazing. Man, I want him to get that so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the last time the you know the Bulls were winning, Matt was a part of that front office, and they got drafted yep. with Jimmy Butler. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, you mentioned Elton Brand. Yeah, that was another guy who you know he came to our pro day a couple of years ago, and it was the first time I I had met him. Now he and I are we talk often, but I told him that my dad and I used to have season tickets when he played for the Bulls, and they were like bad. And, uh, you know, I said, even though you guys were bad, you know, I used to look up to you and I appreciate having you here in my gym now you know, watching our players. And he's been super cool and gracious. And, you know, Glenn was with the 76ers this year. And, um, yeah, El- Elton's another one of those guys you grow up watching and now you I talk to him all the time. And it, it's, it's pretty cool part of the job. Yeah, um, he got to see my son. He did um, Kevin Knox's pro day down in Miami. And before I had him out on the court and he was kind of shooting and I did it deliberately. I put him right by the door so all the GMs could see him shooting and they would all stop for a minute, kind of watch him and uh, him and Elton just clicked. And every time I see EB, he's like, where's your son? I'm like, yeah, I didn't bring him. He's like, if you don't bring your son, I'm not talking to you. And he'll just walk away. <laughs> so my, my little dude, he's, he's, he's got EB's eye way more than me. Awesome. Um, Daniel, for you, as you kind of look in on the world, what are things you would tell a player and maybe you're telling players, what are things you would tell a player maybe about trying to get into this business and have a career in this business, whether it's the NBA, G League, abroad, what are, what's some advice you would give to a player who has aspirations to be a pro? Um, be good at basketball. Um, okay. That one, that one's okay. That's an obvious one. Go a little deeper for me. Here's what I would say. Here's, here's, um, you know, I, 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 people talk about like growth mindset versus fixed mindset often. 
And like, I, I can often tell who's going to succeed. You know, you got to have the talent first, but I can often tell who's going to succeed by like the mindset with which they approach the game, you know, on the court and off the court. Um, I talked to a friend, an old friend from high school the other day, and he was telling me that he got like a poor performance evaluation at his finance job. And I asked him, well, you know, why did you get a poor performance evaluation? And I, I, I thought I knew what he was going to say, but I waited. And he said, oh, because my, my boss, my supervisor doesn't like me. She's been out to get me and uh, she doesn't like me. And it reminded me of when I talked to college players or high school players and I, or, or pros. And I asked, well, why didn't it go well this season? And if they blame the coach, I can't put money on that guy. But if, even if it is the coach's fault, they blame themselves and they say, I could have done this differently. I could have improved this. I could have worked on this. I could have reacted to the situation better. Those are the guys that I'm going to bet on because they have that growth mindset. They're looking inward and saying, even if the coach is a jerk, that's an obstacle I have to overcome. How can I work with him to win? How can I work with him to, to you know, find myself on the court and contribute to the team? So I, I think that growth mindset versus fixed mindset thing is is something that anybody can um, look at and, and try to adapt to their life. You know, always look for ways that you can be improving rather than blaming others. And that's going to lead you to success. How do you help your guys understand that? Or is it you're wired that way and that's why we're in business together or you're not wired that way? I can't imagine when you've got guys that are overseas and just how overseas basketball is that everybody's willing to be growth mindset when they're in Italy not playing as well as they want to play. Most of my guys are wired that way and that's why we work well together. Like I think I have like-minded players. Like I think in the recruiting process, you have to be completely honest with the players you're recruiting because then you're going to attract people who are naturally a fit for you. And I think most of my guys or all my guys are, are, you know, we're, we're, we work well together. We've got synergy because we've got the same mindset. Daniel, um, I appreciate you doing this, man. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Swag Air Steve. Talk soon. Daniel, thanks, man. For everybody who is uh, out there listening, uh, please keep swinging by the podcast. We're going to keep the guest train rolling throughout the week, trying to bring in some people who have great stories like Daniel. Uh, let them share your their stories with you. So keep it locked right here. Basketball Insiders, the podcast. Like the podcast? Make sure to leave a comment or drop in a review after every episode. This has been an Insider Sports production.